Do you want to learn about multifamily investing, but you just don't know where to start? You think you're too new. You think it's too overwhelming. Well, I have the event for you. It's called Multifamily Live, and it's happening this June 10th, 11th, and 12th, a three-day event. And best of all, guys, it's virtual. You don't have to worry about, can I shake hands? Do I have to get on a plane? What's it mean? Am I afraid of COVID? None of that stuff. It's virtual. You can do it from your home. It's a three-day event, and this event is really about teaching you how to invest in multifamily real estate. They want you to know how to achieve the, quote, quit your job passive income, right? By investing in large multifamily properties. Even if you're a new investor or if you're an experienced investor and you want to get into multifamily, this is the event you cannot miss. Guys, go and get your tickets now before they're gone. It's June 11th, I'm sorry, June 10th, 11th, and 12th this coming June. It's going to be amazing. I know the folks putting this on. I have talked to all of them. I know about their businesses. These are the smartest multifamily people in the nation. You must go get your tickets if you're interested in multifamily live before the ticket prices go up. As it gets closer to the event, it's going to go up. Here's how you get them. Go to bestrealestateevent.com. That's bestrealestateevent.com. Go check it out. Even if you're not sure, just go to the site. Check it out. See if it looks like it's for you and grab your tickets now. All right, guys, let's get on to it. We just had to learn the nuances of self-storage. You know, what are all the income sources? Um, does this facility have all those? And what can I add to it after I purchase it? What are, all, what are all the expenses? And am I gathering all of those to make sure that I'm paying exactly, you know, for what I am purchasing and which yeah. is knowing, yeah. you know, all the income and the expenses. So, you know, there's the, the art and the science to it. That's the science. Then the art to it is, you know, now where can I take this thing? What's my exit strategy and yeah. how much can I increase the NOI after I purchase it? So that was the piece that, you know, to this day, Mike, I'm still learning, you know, what that looks like. Um, you know, I, I know, but I'm still learning new things and new ways to be able to make that happen in a, in a different fashion. You're listening to the Just Start Real Estate Podcast. If you're serious about your real estate investing business and need real answers, you are in the right place. And now, your host, Mike Simmons. All right. Thank you for joining me on Just Start Real Estate today. That's Just Start Real Estate, by the way. I think I just slurred my own uh, my own show name. Just Start Real Estate. Thank you for being here, guys. Welcome back or welcome here for the first time. Either way, I hope you enjoy what we have for you today. We're talking self-storage. We're talking self-storage with a guy who's been in the game for a long time time. He knows what he's talking about. He's been involved in real estate since the early 90s, but self-storage for the last 15 years or so. And he is just a straight shooter. I love it. I love he just answers questions. There's no fluff. There's no, you know, getting back to the point because he's not making a point. Like he's a very succinct, very smart, very straightforward guy. And I enjoy very much interviewing folks like that because you ask a question, you get a straight answer. And that's the best. That's the best I can ever hope for as a host of a show. Uh, his name, is Scott Myers. He is the founder and owner of Kingdom Self-Storage, leading expert in the self-storage investment area. He owns and operates three multi-million dollar businesses. He's been featured on CNN Money, Forbes, BBC, and many others. Guys, he is the owner of 30 plus self-storage facilities over nine states. He just is an absolute 
uh, rock star. He's crushing it in self-storage. He is an absolute expert, and we had a great conversation. And I want you to really take notes. If you're interested in self-storage, this is the person to listen to. Uh, I, I really, really believe that he he knows exactly what he's talking about. And we had a great conversation. I got to learn because I don't know a lot about self-storage. So me getting to interview somebody like this and sitting in the seat of the learner is always fun. And I had just a, a really great conversation. So without any further ado, guys, I give you Scott Myers. All right, Scott, thank you for being here, man. Thank you for doing this. I appreciate it. You're here on a recommendation from someone I think a lot of. Uh, I've had a chance to dig into you a little bit, and I'm excited to have you here. So welcome to Just Start Real Estate. Uh, thanks, Michael. Glad to be here. Yeah, it's going to be fun. We're going to talk about something that I am admittedly a little ignorant about. I don't have a lot of knowledge in this area, and it's fun because I can put myself in the shoes of a learner and someone who truly is just trying to figure this all out and understand why someone would do this. And we're talking about um, a lot of things today. We're going to get into some other stuff, but mostly self-storage. But before we do that, I know you've been in this game for a while, but let's dial back and talk about a little bit about who you are, where you come from, why you're even in real estate. I jokingly ask people, what went horribly wrong that you decided real estate was for you? No, joking. Real yeah. estate's great, but how did you get into it? Yeah, fair question. Fair question. So um, I used to work for a Fortune 500 company. And you know, once I finally um, got out of college and got a paycheck and actually had money left over after paying for all my bills, you know, I started looking into ways to be able to invest. And so read everything I could get my hands on on how to invest in the stock market. But uh, the more I read, the more books that I read, the more people that I talked to, you know, there's always a, the last chapter or, oh, by the way, I know somebody who is doing real estate as well. And so once I dug in a little bit further and started looking into real estate and real estate investors, I found that, um, you know what, the richest people in the world didn't make their money in Wall Street on the stock market. They made it in real estate. So and so then I began this quest and began uh, looking for uh, ways to invest in real estate to kind of hedge against what I was already putting into my 401k and maxing that out at, uh, at the company level. So bought my, uh, bought, first of all, bought the Carlton Sheets program. <laughs> Some of the folks out there uh, may uh, recognize that. Let me yeah, ask like, you this though. Did you buy mm -hmm. DVDs or VHS? That's the question. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it was VHS. I have to answer that, Mike. I have to answer that. <laughs> Listen, I'm, I'm just going to say I have, I, I don't anymore, but I had the VHS as well. So I you're not alone, but yes. We're, this is 1992. So it's VHS. <laughs> yes, yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, everybody giggles about, you know, Carlton Sheets, he was on TV and everything. And, uh, you know what? Um, you know, like you talked about when you went to your first um, seminar that, you know, not all the content is applicable, but it gave you the confidence yeah. to go out and do it. And that's what we did. And so that was the model. Um, bought a house and, you know, using the Burr method before it was called the Burr method and, you know, fixed it up, remodeled it, rented it out, refinanced it, and yeah. moved on and bought two more. So then uh, ramped up the single family side. Uh, we, were, we were buy and hold, uh, looking to um, keep everything that we bought. And uh, just we didn't get to that place where we had the freedom and the cash flow that we had expected that Carlton talked about. And so then we got into apartments thinking economies of scale would, you know, would fix that and, sure. you know, less management headaches and property managers and management companies to handle it. And, you know, at the end of the day, we're still, you know, 70 to hundred unit um, complexes and we had managers and management companies, but you know, at the end of the day, we still have to write the checks and handle some of the problems. Yep. And um, all they did is just kind of compound. We had 400 apartments then. And um, again, not a big portfolio, but you know, a, a number of units and sure. decided, uh, well, my wife said, basically, 
uh, either either um, you fire me or I quit because I am tired of spending this much time <laughs> for Please, so little that's, free time. That's like bad and worse. What did what did you let her do? Fight? Did you fire her? Or did you let her quit? I don't think I would want to fire my wife. I I, I, I took it right up to the line where um, she was about to quit, and then I released her, freed up her future to pursue other career opportunities. <laughs> nice, nice. <laughs> so um, then, um, yeah, we decided that you know it was time to do something different. And so, um, you know, if you don't like tennis and toilets, which is what takes up you know most of the time, then it's either parking lots or self-storage. And so I began looking into storage. And, you know, at the time there wasn't, there weren't really any books out there. There wasn't any, you know, there wasn't an organization like ours that teaches people now about how to invest. And so I, I went to the trade shows and talked to some folks in the business. And can, can I ask you real and, quick, real mm-hmm, quick, Scott, yeah. what, what year are we, what year are we at now? Where, where did yeah, you like discover self, self-storage? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're at 2005 okay, now. Okay. And I began uh, looking into, in, into storage. Okay. And so yeah, visited the the trade shows and talk talking to a consultant, paid a consultant to to ride around the car with him to see his facilities and pick his brain, if you will. Uh, well, I didn't pick his brain; I, I paid for it, and um, you know, got a good head start, and then went out and did it. Uh, joined uh, joined up with another gentleman that was a broker in the market, had good credit, brought cash, which is a good partner that, uh, to have, and so we bought a facility, a, a larger one together. Okay. And uh, we were off to the races. That was the first one that got me into it. And then the banks took us seriously after that and then uh, began doing it on our own. And now we're at the place where we've we've uh, grown up to, we're approaching 2.4 million um, square feet of self-storage and about 14,000 doors. And we um, develop, we syndicate, we acquire, we convert existing industrial buildings and, and dark, empty, big box retail stores into self-storage. And we do it all over the country. So a lot, lot of stuff that I want to go back and dig into pretty deeply. So you said there was really no, or, like you you do have a program where you teach people how to mm-hmm. invest in self-storage. Real, real quick, what is that called? Yeah, so uh, basically it's our website, selfstorageinvesting.com. And you know at that site are lots of resources. But the first project that we came out with was the how to find, evaluate, purchase, and managing self-storage facilities. Okay. So yeah, yeah, nice short title, but um, we, we really did get tired of people asking me to you know take them out to lunch and pick my brain. I, yeah. I used to run my real estate investor association and we ran workshops and and I love to teach. Don't get me wrong. I have a heart for it, but I, I couldn't, all the people that wanted to yeah. pick my brain and take me out to lunch, um, you know, after doing that so many times and then some of them making me pay for lunch, uh, I decided maybe I should create a, a book or a home study system to show them how to do it. That's and so uh, so that, that was the genesis of that. That's hilarious. So you didn't have that, obviously, when you started. And I, I think you said uh-huh. you went to like trade shows and things and, mm-hmm. and somebody kind of drove you around. It sounds like mm-hmm. a lot of figuring it out on your end. Um, mm-hmm. When you started that endeavor, you said now you have like the banks take you seriously and you know mm-hmm. you, you have this portfolio and, and all this. But when you started out back then, let's talk about back then and let's even talk mm-hmm. about like after that, let's talk about now because maybe mm-hmm. the game has changed. Mm-hmm. How does one, let's start with find at a mm-hmm. high level, like macro, mm-hmm. how does mm-hmm. one find a self-storage facility that is a good investment, right? I assume mm-hmm. that like any other investment, there's good and bad, like not every self-storage is a fantastic investment, mm-hmm. right? right? So how do you right. find the right mm-hmm. ones? Yeah. So, you know, in comparison, you know, commercial real estate, obviously different than single family homes, you know, the value is based upon, you know, in single family, the the comps in the neighborhood and how, you know, how it stacks up and measures up and how well you've done with it. Whereas with commercial real estate, uh, as just about everybody on this uh, call knows, is that it's based upon the net operating income, you know, how much 
money doesn't bring in, subtract the expenses is your net operating income. And then you apply a market capitalization rate to it. That's how we value commercial real estate. Yep. So I, I had that foundation from underwriting apartment complexes and, and we understood, you know, what that the whole process looks like. We just had to learn the nuances of self-storage. You know, what are all the income sources? Um, does this facility have all those and what can I add to it after I purchase it? What are all, what are all the expenses? And am I gathering all of those to make sure that I'm paying exactly, you know, for what I am purchasing and which yeah. is knowing, you know, all the income and the expenses. So, you know, there's the, the art and the science to it. That's the science. Then the art to it is, you know, now where can I take this thing? What's my exit strategy and yeah. how much can I increase the NOI after I purchase it? So that was the piece that, you know, to this day, Mike, I'm still learning, you know, what that looks like. Um, you know, I, I know, but I'm still learning new things and new ways to be able to make that happen in a, in a different fashion. So, um, in the beginning, it was really just the skill set and, and understanding, you know, the business and talking to as many people as possible. And really, the lenders, you know, helped me out at that time uh, when I give them my underwriting and my valuation for them to say, "Well, you forgot this and you missed this." And, and by the way, we underwrite with a five percent management fee, and sometimes we look at this. So it was, you know, just a, yeah. uh, you know, it takes a village to raise a child, and it, you know, it takes a, a real estate community to raise a, a strong self storage investor. Gotcha. So. <clears throat> How are the cap rates applied to a self-storage as opposed to like multifamily? What is the, is there a correlation? Is it the same? Is it different? How do they determine that? How does anyone yeah. determine? Same, but different, you know, A, B, and C, you know, okay. so the A, class A are, you know, just that. And in, in apartments, it's REITs, you know, the real estate investment trusts, um, you know, the class A, nicest uh, location, highest uh, finishes, and therefore the highest rent and the, and the greatest locations. Yep. Same thing with self-storage. It's, a, you know, the two to three story, all temperature control, gleaming facilities that are right on the road in the major metropolitan statistical areas and yep. all temperature controlled, all electronic, all the amenities. Um, class B is usually single story, um, maybe on the outskirts. It still could be in that same market, um, may have asphalt, may have gravel. It has still has security professionally managed, but it's um, just doesn't have all the bells and whistles. And then C, you know, varying uh, degrees of that, um, rural, a little further out, less professionally managed, um, smaller, you know, older, maybe some obsolete sizes like five by five, which nobody wants anymore. Mm. And um, in a market where the rental rates are low and it's, um, and, and it's usually a mom and pop that's uh, running it and they're usually not there behind the counter. As a rule, <laughs> w which types uh, of, of classification of places are you investing in generally? Yeah. So let's go back to where we started and, and what we teach our folks. And, you know, the money is made in, in, in the beginning in those class C facilities. Um, mm -hmm. We don't want to be, you know, way out in the rural parts of the country where there's not activity and not the ability, not not even competition or the ability to raise rates. Mm -hmm. But, you know, we're in the micropolitans and we're in those those third tier areas and we're we're buying a facility that's in the path of progress. It's a five acre parcel and it's got buildings on three or four acres not managed well, you know, the owner hasn't raised rates in 10 years because, you know, they like to stay full. They yeah. don't have a website. They don't know how to market. And um, those are the ones that we can take and uh, we can purchase them, turn them around. And by way of turning them around, any technology, reducing the manager's hours or payroll hours, uh, marketing the heck out of it, raising rates, and then adding buildings onto the additional four and five acres, and then um, continuing to raise rates and, and eventually either refinancing or then selling off to a bigger player. And, you know, we've done game, that I'm sorry to interrupt you. I apologize. No, but real quick, I want to jump in. Is your, is your model always to find an opportunity, maximize its potential, and then sell it? Or are these long-term buy and holds yeah. for you? We're, we, we are nothing but value add folks. Um, I, I think um, I learned a long time ago, at least for me, 
Um, anybody can go out and pay retail for anything. Mm-hmm. You know, you can go out to, you know, to the, to the mall and go to Macy's and, 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 you know, pay top dollar for any shirt that you want. Yep. Um, you know, the, the, I guess the equivalent of that is anybody can go to the, you know, to the retail store and go out and, and, and pay top dollar, you know, at a low cap rate for a self-storage facility that's listed in the brokerage community, you know, that's available yeah. for anybody to see. Mm-hmm. Um, we'd rather find something by way of a direct mail that we send out or the broker that has a pocket listing, a troubled asset, you know, that we've run across or something that we just, you know, see that we can take it from here to here. Yeah. And because um, that's to me, that's the safest way to do it. And as long as you're doing the heavy lifting, why, why not you yeah. know, make yeah. the bigger returns on it? So we are nothing but junkers. We are nothing but value add folks. And uh, we want to 2x our money no matter what. Yeah. And that's investing. I, I guess my, my yeah. real question is, is it always a, a exit for you? Are you always trying to exit in a short amount of time or are you holding mm-hmm. this for decades? Yeah, good question. So we do both. Uh, most of what we're doing right now are larger projects that are developments and conversions and, and, and even some value add projects where we're syndicating and bringing our investors in and, mm-hmm. in order for them to get their internal rate of return. Um, there's time value of money. And so those projects are three, four and five years. And to get a, the biggest bucket of money is to sell it rather than to refinance it and keep some of that equity in it. Yeah. Um, so that has been our strategy. But uh, along with that is a small percentage of our projects that we are keeping uh, ourselves for long term. Okay. Um, but, there, you know, there, there still comes a point where, you know, even your own equity that you built up and if it's just chugging along and, you know, a couple of rental increases, uh, you know, as long as we've got a, a, a rock star team, which we have, and I got air in my lungs, I'm going to continue to create value and move that money yeah. uh, until I'm, well, I'm, I'm 52. I'm only a third of the way through my life by the actuarial tables right now. So we're, we're, we're going to be doing this for a while before we uh, slow down. <laughs> Wait a minute, a third of your way through. I'm about the same age as you. I'm excited to know we're going to live to be what, 150? Uh, yeah. Well, you know, I, I attended Dan Sullivan's uh, conference uh, for, or not his conference, but as a strategic coach for a year. And um, when you begin to do the exercise, and uh, look at how much money you need to retire. Um, it's pretty telling. He's got all the tables up there. And uh, yeah, those of us that are around this uh, age, um, yeah, we're projected to live to about 140 or 150. Oh, that would be fantastic. That's exciting. Yeah. All right. I got to start eating better. I'm sort of eating as if I'm going to die in 30 years. So I got to change that a little bit. Well, it's the advances in technology. They'll just replace those organs that go bad. So we're we're, we're good. All right, good. I haven't haven't even changed my diet now. I can eat what I'm eating. Um, All serious. So, So Mm-hmm. So folks that are listening to this and, and including myself, <clears throat> I've been investing in real estate since 2008. I've not been doing it as long as you, but for someone who doesn't know anything about self-storage and let's just say someone who's starting out a little bit newer, mm-hmm. if they want to do this, I, I know that there you have, an, you have the ability and you offer uh, to let people uh, invest passively with you. Okay. We'll mm-hmm. talk about that. But if for now, let's talk about the the person who's got all kinds of fire in their belly and they want to do yeah. this. Mm-hmm. Is this something you really need to add on once you have a lot of experience in real estate otherwise, or can someone start as a self-storage person mm-hmm. having never done real estate before in their life? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Always easier, the more experience that you have, but there's always a first time as well. Mm-hmm. So the, the good news is, is that in, in commercial real estate and self-storage as well as part of that, um, I think most people get scared because there's more commas and more zeros and the banks aren't going to take me seriously. How am I going to be able to do this? Well, right. the good news is, is that, you know, banks, um, they look more to the asset, the strength of the asset than they do the strength of the borrower yeah. when it comes to commercial real estate. So you found um, a deal and you, you, it means it's not an opportunity. It's a deal. You, you've underwritten it. You've determined that. And so now, you know, you go in to talk to the, to the lender. Um, the good news is that they're going to, you know, do a global spread and look at your financials, but they're also looking at 
the property because their exit strategy or they're looking at worst case scenario is that, you know, if things all, all go to heck in a handbasket with you as the syndicator, the owner, the operator, the developer, that they're going to take it back and they're still going to be able to have some value. They'll put it in receivership. Somebody manage it for a couple of months, clean it up, and then they'll sell it. Yeah. And yeah. so that that ultimately they have to fall back on, and that's more difficult for them to recoup that money in a single family house. They're usually on on the losing end uh, on that scenario. But if you're coming in with 25% down on a piece of commercial real estate and you happen to go away, they're actually going to make money if they take it back and sell it so long as it hasn't been completely driven into the ground. So it helps to have experience. And if not, um, you know, underwriting did get tightened up after, you know, the the global crash in 2008. And then even during COVID, the banks have gotten a little more stringent on their on their underwriting. And so if you if this is your first and it's a larger project, you may have to bring in somebody not necessarily to sign on the loan, but just to be a part of the LLC. Yeah. They could have 2%, 3% of the shares that you give up in exchange for that. They just want to see that you have somebody on your team that has some skin in the game that yeah. is going to be driving this and at least guiding you. And uh, and, and we've done that. I've, I've been brought into projects and just take a small percentage because that's all the, the bank needed to get this thing across the finish line and approved at loan committee. Gotcha. So long when it answered your question, Mike, but I don't think people need to be scared about this. And there are people that get into self-storage without any real estate experience. They may have small business experience. They may have, and and the SBA has some fantastic programs for self-storage because they view it as a small business, which is very liberal Hmm. in terms of first-time borrowers and first-time owners of self-storage. So um, that many other ways that we could talk about. So really don't be nervous about it if you're willing to go out and do it. Then, then do it. I think, uh, Mike, we put this a different way. Um, I, I think that's what you're shouting all the time is uh, to just start telling yeah. everybody to just start like in yep. your book. Yep. Uh, we have a saying around here where, you know, stop, just, you know, aim, aim, aim. We get those folks that are always <laughs> aiming and they never pull yeah. the trigger. And so, yeah. it's, you know, pull the trigger. It, it, it's just time. Just start. Yeah. I like that. I like that message, and it's good because I I ask that specifically, hoping that's kind of what you would say. Um, you know, people think, oh, self storage, that's like that'll be my end game. Like, uh, I'll, I'll mm-hmm. spend the next twenty years buying rental. You know, it's like, wait, why? Yeah, earning I, the right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, earning the right. Like, I'm as the crow flies kind of a guy. Like, if that's what you want, go straight toward that. Don't take a bunch mm-hmm. of detours that maybe don't have to be taken. So mm-hmm. you mentioned um, getting finance through the SBA potentially and like uh, traditional mm-hmm. lenders. What is, and you also mentioned 25% down. What is there a standard down payment when you're going to go do this that a bank's going to want to look for? Yeah, I think the, the traditional lenders that we go to are the savings and loans, the credit unions, the community banks. You know, they're more apt to lend on these smaller facilities when people are first starting out that's in their backyard, that they can go see it, touch it, feel it themselves. And, and you know, yeah. the loan committee uh, folks, as well as know who you are, look under the hood of uh, the business and, you know, and your financials. So I think it's much easier that way. And those banks are typically 75%. They may go up to 80%. Uh, but the good news is that, um, you know, this is what they, this is the asset that they want on their balance sheet right now. It does so well during a recession. It's done mm. extremely well during a pandemic. And so, you know, they, they, they like the asset. Uh, the SBA is um, actually, they have a little higher LTV. They'll go up to 90% LTV. And they do have great programs uh, where they bring people in, even with lower credit scores, maybe a little bit of hair on their credit. But uh, again, their job, their their role, the SBA, Small Business Administration, is growing businesses and growing jobs. Yeah. So even though self-storage doesn't grow a lot of jobs, um, this is a way to be able to, to get money out into the marketplace um, to begin to grow this business. So another avenue. And we always start there. Um, the downside is that they take a long time, whereas with the community banks, credit unions, they can close something pretty quickly as long as they understand it. 
Okay, so when it comes to a self-storage facility, what are some things that you may find an opportunity and you start mm-hmm. underwriting it and everything is good? Is there anything that would keep you away that isn't intuitive or people might not think about before they get into it? Like is there lessons learned where you're like, I've seen this. I don't care how the numbers look. I'm not I'm not touching it. There's small gotchas and there's big ones. <laughs> okay. Um, you know, you, sometimes they're, they are functionally obsolete, meaning if this is a first generation facility built in the 70s, early 80s, well, the most popular size back then was five by five. Mm-hmm. Most popular size now, any guesses? 10 by 10. 10 by 15, 10 by 15. Okay. And approaching 10 by 20. Okay. And you know, uh, people don't want this, you know, little five foot door or small door in these five by five um, units because they can't put anything in it. And so if uh, the whole thing was built with that or primarily, you're going to be discounting those heavily. And it's just, it's just functionally obsolete. That's going to be difficult. Um, If it's really in a rural area, I'm I'm probably not going to look at it anyways. There's just not a lot of activity. Mm. Um, We like to have competition from the REITs and the, and the national players and regional players to drive rates up. And so the absence of that, if we have to be the ones that are the rate setters in a market, then we probably are not, you know, it just may not work and we can't drive the performance of that facility. Um, There's others in which, you know, the, the last time it was assessed for tax purposes was when it was vacant land, you know, and mom and pop built it, you know, 15, 20 years ago. And, and the assessment is at 120,000. And in this municipality, you know, they don't reassess until a sale. And so now they're selling it for 1.2 and you're the buyer. Well, guess what's going to happen to your taxes? And obviously, you know, your profit and loss is going to take a hit. And so if the seller's got it in their mind that this is the value and all of a sudden you underwrite it and you see, here's what the taxes are going to be. Now I'm, I'm not getting anywhere near the returns that I uh, thought I was going to get, or I may be in the negative. And obviously it's something that we have to walk away from. Gotcha. So just a, a lot of due diligence, um, you know, I think that's where people make a lot of mistakes. Uh, they just get excited about them. They don't do their homework. They don't know what they don't know. Yeah. And so outside of, um, you know, I'm not sure if there's any other, you know, real gotchas other than that. Um, the good news is there's what you see is what you get. You do your due diligence on the numbers and you do your inspections. There aren't too many surprises. You know, yeah. we just stay away from the markets where we can't really drive their performance, I guess is a better way of answering your question. How often or how big of a concern is it, if any, that when I assume one of the major strategies is raising rates. Mm-hmm. How sure. often does that m- it create an exodus? You know, everyone is like, screw this guy uh, and raising my rates. Like yeah. this is the fear, right? When people buy something. <clears throat> it is the fear. Yep. So good news for self-storage is that um, our leases are month to month. That gives us a, a lot of flexibility. First of all, no yeah. commitment um, on the client's part. So they're just like, great month to month. Fantastic. So we move them in with a special and then uh, they come up to full price next month. And then um, three, four months down the road. Oh, well, we're, we're going to have a rate adjustment here, cost of living, and you know our insurances go up, our expenses go up, and we're passing this along. Um, it's three, four, five dollars. Um, is somebody going to borrow a truck or rent a U-Haul and yeah. for a day get their brother-in-law down, move out, go down the road, pay another nineteen-dollar move-in fee, you know, move everything else in to save? Three, four, five dollars. They're not. You know, we don't get the no. mass exodus. So, what about then, when you first when you first take it over? Though, are you talking yeah. about a three, four, five dollar increase when you first take over the place, or is it more like a fifty dollar or thirty dollars? Yeah. Is it like crazier, higher? Um, well, you know, any of these questions, Mike, I could say it depends, and and, okay. and it does. Yeah. You know, yeah. if we come into and it is those mom and pop facilities, and they haven't raised rates in twenty years, and yes. so. You know, the Delta is is $20 below what our, the street rates are now and what we're coming into. Well, those new people, we're going to bring them up to, you know, they're going to come in at that rate. And then those other folks, um, we're going to wait 30 days. We send out, you know, two good news letters. The first one is good news. 
new owners were going to make these changes. And 30 days later, the second good newsletter that comes out um, says, good news. Hope you liked everything that you've seen. Um, the good news is uh, we've done an audit uh, on the rent roll and um, our street rate is this for a 10 by 10, which is what you have. The good news is we're not going to raise your rate to that high, but we're going to raise it to this. You know, gotcha. so we're going to raise it by five dollars, ten dollars, gotcha. fifteen, gotcha. whatever you know that delta is. But the good news is it's still less than all of our competition, and we show them the competition. Yeah. So, in yeah. other words, don't move. Why would you move? And if they're going to move out, so be it. Now I've got a, a, a unit that is freed up that I can bring in at full rate and not have you know these folks in here at half of the rate or twenty dollars below. Yeah, does that make sense? Yeah, that's totally smart. Like you said, you you raised it, but as long as they can't do better, why would anyone rent, borrow the truck, rent the U-Haul, you know, mm-hmm. break their back to move things to only to pay more yeah. or the same? It doesn't make any sense. So yeah. perfect, I love it. That's that's great. Yeah. And and the good news is, um, you know, two hundred units at five dollars a month. You just gave yourself a thousand dollar raise times uh, twelve is twelve thousand. Even at a ten cap, you just created one hundred twenty thousand dollars in value in your small facility by sending out letters. And what's really attractive to me as an investor and someone who's dealt with toilets and hassles and things mm-hmm. is you don't have tenants. I mean, you have tenants, but you don't have like the same kind. You don't have the same style of tenant, right? Somebody in there beating your place up, right. messing mm-hmm. with the plumbing, and you know, mm-hmm. doing damage to the place. So. That's amazing. You mentioned earlier uh, 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 streams of income. What kind of streams of income? Other than the rent of the unit, is there are there other ways to make money with a facility? Sure. So one of them. I mean, let's start with move in, and that is, um, as I just mentioned, the um, the admin fee, the non refundable administration fee when they move in. So you know, we don't have to take deposits. Some people do. Some of the old mom and pops take a deposit. Mm-hmm. Um, but what are you trying to cover? It's a metal box on a concrete slab. You yeah. know, they, it's not like we're giving them it back. You know, because the carpet's immaculate. Um, yeah. It's a nineteen dollar non refundable admin fee or or more. So that's an income stream. Okay. Uh, renters insurance. Uh, you know, if they don't carry it and show proof of it. In many of our facilities, at our Class A facilities, uh, we require it. So either you show us that you have a rider or you have to purchase it. Not not through us, but here's a provider that we recommend and you you, you purchase it through them. Yeah. And uh, we do get a, a commission on that uh, as well, even though okay. we're not uh, selling it. We, we get a portion of it, um, sure. put it that way. We don't get a commission as we're not selling it. And then if we have a larger retail uh, area in the office, then we sell locks, boxes, and moving supplies. And we do... Uh, require them to put the disc locks on. You know, they can't come and bring their free lock that they got in their luggage, you know, that yeah. anybody could go by and twist off and, and, <laughs> yeah. and open up. Yeah. They have to have a good solid lock. And 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 some of our facilities, we do mandate a disc lock. And so they they have to purchase that. Gotcha. Um, and, and then it goes on from there. If you have a boat and RV lot, you can charge for dump services. You can charge for propane, hmm. um, for detailing services. Um, we, we sell uh, eBay services. We have a pack and ship center in some of our facilities. We'd also have areas that are set aside for record storage and mm-hmm. shredding services for those records that have gone beyond the seven-year HIPAA rule. Yeah. So there's, I, I mean, there's there's wow. 40 different profit centers we've identified depending upon the facility, the size, how you're operating it and manning it from yeah. a personnel standpoint and the market you're in, whether it dictates um, whether somebody is, you know, it is a hot market for record storage, uh, for instance, or boats and RV. It's just, uh, it really depends. But yeah, we got a whole gamut that we can add to them. Got it. That's yeah. And I know we've talked a lot about self-storage. I know you have experience in a lot of other real estate mm-hmm. things that you're doing, other businesses you've built. Um, and it's just so 
The self-storage thing, though, is so interesting to me because you don't have toilets and plumbing and, and all that stuff that you have in other in other things. And I think sometimes that's that's a real turnoff for people thinking they have to deal with tenant drama, which is probably not you know as big a deal in this industry at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but like apartments, I think some people shy away because of the number of zeros after the comma, right? They, they get right. a little bit concerned. Mm-hmm. Where do you see self-storage mm-hmm. going in the future? And I know it'll always be there. I'm sure we'll always have self-storage, but... You mm-hmm. said it was it's kind of recession proof. It's done really, really well during COVID. Is there a time when self-storage does the worst? Is there a, an economic mm-hmm. situation where you go, I hope that doesn't happen because that's really going to affect me in my self-storage business? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, um, we've been following this industry since it's been an industry. I mean, you can you can follow it back to, you know, the drayage houses that were back in the and the harbors and the ports, you know, when when we uh, uh, when the English came over to settle this country. Yeah. But it really came into its own in the in the 70s. And what we've done and, and tracked it since the 70s is, uh, and I'll never say it's recession-proof or inflation-proof, but very recession-resistant and inflation-resistant. Mm. And through every single economic cycle, when times are good, you know, we as Americans, the, the hyper-consumers of the world, you know, we, we celebrate, we go buy stuff. Yeah. And the baby boomers uh, have collected all kinds of uh, toys. They've collected boats and RVs and everything else. And, and they are the, the hyper-consumers of self-storage as well. Um, there's a whole bunch of them out there and they're downsizing. The kids are out, they're empty nesters, they downsize. Um, they buy a second home down in Florida. Well, when they rent that out in the winter, or depending on how they trade their time versus being snowbirds, well, then they put all their good booze and their good toys and things in storage in their house down south when they come back to the north to live and and, and vice versa. Mm. Uh, if, they've, if they've done very well, again, they have a lot of toys, boats and RVs can't be parked in these uh, subdivisions anymore because of the HOA. Mm. And then they move on to assisted living. And then when they pass on, you know, the estate is settled. The kids take over. There's stuff that they divvy up. There's stuff that they don't want, but they won't get rid of because they can't because it's mom's and she'll kill us if we, you know, <laughs> when we get to heaven and we sold the, the green couch. And so it goes into storage and it sits there forever. Yeah. Um, millennials. Um, everybody's worried about millennials because they're minimalists. And, um, oh my gosh, what's going to happen now that this mm-hmm. is the end of the storage industry? Well, those millennials like smaller houses. Um, they're not committing. They, they, may, they may buy a, a tiny house or they may just rent. And they save enough money to go then have a six-month adventure somewhere. Well, then they put their stuff where? When they let go of their lease in storage. Right. While they're living there, um, adventures and experiences require equipment like kayaks, paddle boats, fishing gear, camping gear, mountain bikes. And it's yep. not all going to fit in the condo, the apartment, or the tiny house. So it goes into storage. And so what we're seeing now is um, uh, another 40% increase in storage by the millennial generation. So we've got that going for us. And then again, when times are good, people buy more stuff. And then when we experience a, a recession or like the pandemic, we're, we're really, uh, we're in the trauma and transition business. So you're right. We don't have the drama of tenants, as you mentioned, Mike, but when people come into our, our offices, our stores at the facility, you know, they're, they usually got some trauma or transition going on in their business. And sometimes their hair's on fire, you know, yeah. they, they've lost their job and they have to downsize, um, death, divorce, bankruptcy, you know, a splitting of any relationship. Yeah. People are going to move in with each other, moving back home, uh, businesses that were shut down in the pandemic immediately, their inventory and their equipment all went back into storage because they lost their lease or they were selling their buildings. And so again, we don't, we don't celebrate pandemics. We don't celebrate recessions, but our industry uh, does extremely well. I mean, we, we go up and to the right during a, an inflationary period when times are good. And then the hockey stick effect kicks in when we go into a recession because there's fewer developments. The banks don't do as many development loans for storage yet. The demand, um, you know, almost doubles during that time because of the trauma and the transition. Yep. 
that makes total sense. You have facilities in nine different states. Are there areas of the country that you think are just more conducive to success in, in storage or does it not really matter? Yeah, but that's a secret. I can't tell you, Mike. <laughs> okay, we'll move right on. I'll talk to you after the after the recording. <laughs> yeah, every, everybody thinks that there's this self storage Oz, you know, where you know rates continue to go up and and no other competitors are. And um, you know, we, we tell our folks when they start working with us and begin looking into it, you know, drive a two hour radius from your backyard, send mailers out, do direct mail, make friends with the self storage brokers in the market and the business brokers, and start searching. You know, start pulling on doors you know, communicating with the owners and, and looking and underwriting and evaluating these things. You, you'll find something within a two hour radius of yourself. You know, there are mar- there are markets that are a little more cost prohibitive and that's California just because land, you know, everything's expensive. And so it's difficult yep. to make real estate in general work out there, yep. um, including self-storage. But outside of that, um, you know, there's there's plenty of folks uh, and we'll hear them, the REITs and the big national players that will say, well, you know, this XYZ city is a flyover for us. We don't invest there. It's, um, you know, it's too difficult or this mm-hmm. or that. But, you know, then they turn around talking to, the, you know, their buddies about how they're doubling down in these um, certain markets as well. So yeah. um, anytime I hear that, you know, I always know that there's something um, underneath it. And, and we really we don't focus on a market that is underserved. You know, we, we have a lot of opportunities that are brought to us and that's, I'm in a different and a unique position and that um, our name has been out there and we have a lot of students, we have joint venture partners and they bring us projects. And so as part of our due diligence and analysis, then we look into the market to determine if there's growth and uh, if it's sustainable and if the market rates are high, but we're not, um, many folks do, but we're not looking at a market that is underserved and then going in and trying to uh, blast it. We do just the opposite. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Well, this is amazing stuff. And we, we touched on it earlier. If people want to get involved mm-hmm. in self-storage and they have some money, but maybe not time or even the desire to learn the industry and do it themselves, mm-hmm. and they want to go more of a passive route, mm-hmm. how can they get involved? So we, um, yeah, we're, we're syndicators. And so we work with folks that are passive investors. And so we set up SEC Regulation D, 506B and 506C offerings. So accredited investors and some unaccredited investors can invest alongside of us. Okay. And the uh, obviously we're, we're, we're in the money business at that point. We, we're a financial services company. Um, one of our, our businesses is that. And, and we happen to deploy our capital in self-storage because we like it, we know it, and we're good at it. And so the folks that want to come alongside and do this passively yet still learn about the business can get involved by investing with us. And they, they get an ownership position. They get shares of the LLC. So that means they also get the benefit of a percentage of cash flow, a percentage of the profits upon a sale. And then they also get a percentage of the depreciation on their K-1s. Yeah. And so many folks are, are they're, they're too busy, as you mentioned, Mike, or they've got some money, but maybe not enough for a down payment to get into a larger project on their own. So they invest with us and they're getting very good returns. I mean, we're matching and beating what the market is, is um, returning out there in terms of other syndications and syndicators. But what we do for our folks, we take a kind of an extra step in that um, we educate our folks on we're, we're educators, we have an education company. And so we teach our people about the business while they're investing uh, with us. And we have webinars once a, a month, and then trailing off to once a quarter, as to everything we're doing with their investment, they're invested in mm-hmm. alongside of us as a, as a partner. Nice. And so nice. that's a good way for people to then, when it's time for them to go out and do it on their own, they've got not only the, you know, the experience in the back of their head, but when they do go into the banks and talk to the banker and, and asking for money on their own project and they ask, well, what's your experience? I can say, well, I'm a part owner in this facility over here and here's what we've done. And because they are, and they have, yeah. so it ticks that box and it's a springboard for them to be able to then launch their own business. That's huge. Two questions. How much does a person in general need to have in order to get involved? Like what, where would be the threshold? Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Typically, our, our projects that come out, um, 25000 on the minimum, most of our projects, $50,000 to invest with us. Okay. Is that pretty average? 50, 50, around 50,000? Yeah, that's pretty average. Most syndicators out there are right at 50. There's yeah. some little, little bit less, but that's that's about average. Okay. And then how how can they find you to do this if they want to learn more? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thanks for asking. PassiveStorageInvesting.com. PassiveStorageInvesting.com. Um, you can get on that site, take a look at our projects that are uh, upcoming, ones that we've uh, closed out and that we're uh, currently uh, have in, in the works and um, see a little history about what we've done and how we do it. That's awesome. And that's a great website, by the way. Great URL. PassiveStorageInvesting.com. We'll have it in the, the show notes, guys. So if you're in your car driving on a treadmill, don't don't uh, get off. Don't get in a wreck. We'll have it for you. Um, listen, this has been very educational for me. I, I, I learned a lot. I really did. I've, I've interviewed other folks that do self-storage, but I always learn something new. And this was no exception. You clearly know what you're doing. You're an expert in this area. Uh, I highly suggest you guys go check him out if you want to get involved. Because honestly, I've never heard anyone say that I, our investors get a webinar and they get training so they can learn as they're investing. So you're you're getting paid to learn, basically, it sounds like. Um, and that's you can't beat that. So Listen, mm-hmm. Scott, thank you for doing this. Thank you for agreeing to be on here and being so uh, open and honest and, and transparent for everybody because it just uh, it just makes makes this whole thing a lot better when people come on and they'll just talk plainly and you do that. So thank you for that. Well, we don't know how to do it any other way. So it's been my pleasure, Mike. All right. Thanks a lot. Okay, guys, hope you got a lot out of that. Enjoyed it. I know I did. Self-storage is definitely an area of real estate that I have an interest. I do believe 100% that it is recession resistant, COVID resistant. I I get and it makes a a ton of sense to me logically why self-storage is something that uh, I want to be in. And I think that that's something you should consider too. Uh, You can reach out to Scott and find out how to get involved with him if that's the way you'd like to go. Um, But whatever it is, guys, whatever area of real estate, you know, on some level, it just doesn't matter. What matters is that you take action right? The, the exact direction that you go is less important because you can always change your mind. You can always pivot. You can always change directions, but you can't steer a parked car. And if you're a parked car, you can't change directions because you're not moving. So get out there and get moving. And if you need to change directions, great, but you'll never regret actually getting that car in motion. So get out there and get going. Make today the day that you look back years from now and say, that's the day I took action and that's the day everything changed for me. Go make it happen. We'll talk to you next time.